when they swelled there at the end, the whole choir sounds spectacular. But I thought there was, I was looking to see if there was like some adult ringers over here. It sounded like grown women over here. Those, those, I think that's soprano. Is that soprano over there? Okay, I got it right. It was a lucky guess. <clears throat> Wonderful job, choir. We're blessed to have you as always. Saw Emily sitting down here singing in the front row, second row. Congratulations, Emily. We're proud of you. Praise the Lord for, for how he's been working in your life. And if you've gone through three series, then I'm sure that you could probably give some of these folk out here a study or two and uh, give them a little refresher course. So. But we're proud of you, and we just pray that it won't just be knowledge, but that you'll walk every day with Jesus Christ in love with him. That love is what will drive you, not just the knowledge, but that love. So, so hold on to that. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for the blessing of this morning already, for the beautiful music, the reminder of our desire to go up yonder. Thank you for Emily's public profession of her commitment to you, and may it stir our hearts to maybe for the first time make a commitment or, or to recommit our lives today. We thank you, Jesus, for everything. As we open your word today, I pray that you'll speak to us. In your name, amen. As we look back on the past week, there may be something inside of us that, that entices us to say we are living in the last days. Things within government that worry us, that cause us to pause and reflect as believers. The economic inequality that exists right in our own backyard that, that percolated into protests and then from there into tragic and divisive riots. And then, as we mentioned earlier, potentially the most heartbreaking of all, the enormous loss of life that took place in Nepal. When people peacefully gathered and people going about their days just as we are today, suddenly the earth shook with a 7.8 magnitude earthquake, killing, at last count, more than 6,400 people. And rising since the villagers, as I've read, are just now, since the rescuers are just now getting to some of the villages at the epicenter of things. There's devolution of laws within our society. There's devolution of trust between law enforcement and citizens. There's, there's devolution of economic equality and of peaceful response. There's, there's devolution of the very earth that we live in. It could lead one to, to, to feel compelled to say, we are truly living in the last days. Except for, in many of our cases, we are a little bit hesitant to say it because as a people, we've been saying it forever and Jesus has still not come. My dad's mom and her parents said it as they lived through the Great War of the early 1900s, 16 million deaths through that war. They said it, and some of you probably said it as well, as you, you lived through the Great Depression with, with such uh, economic challenges, with the, with the whole world seeming to collapse around us, the economy seeming to collapse around us. Surely, we must be living in the last days. Surely, Jesus is about to come. 
My mom's parents and their parents, and many of you said it as well as you, as you lived through World War II, where there were 60 million people that died in, in correlation to that war. 3% of the world's population at that time. Unbelievable. My dad and mom and many of you said it as you lived through the Korean and the Vietnam and, and the Cold Wars. My dad has told me on a few occasions uh, that he never actually thought that he would even get married or have kids. He sometimes uses this as an excuse when he's messed up as a dad. Hey, I didn't even think I was going to have kids. How am I supposed to know what to do? I was told Jesus was coming. It seems that with each generation, while we think it and while we may want to say it, it seems that, that we say it a little bit softer and softer with each passing generation. Even to the point that for many of us, while we are titled Adventists, we are barely living as Adventists. Not in the sense of, of I'm not speaking in the sense of lifestyle and doctrine, but Adventists, a people who are, who are boldly and, and, and loudly proclaiming and believing in the imminent and soon return of Jesus Christ. Yeah, we believe he's going to come, but you know, this imminent and soon return idea, I don't know about it. I'd like to put forth the premise, though, very boldly today, that we are indeed living in the last days. And I'd like to put forth the, the premise today that, that not only are we indeed living in the last days, but I believe, I believe, based on my understanding of Scripture, that Jesus will come in our lifetime. Now, I'm gonna explain that a little bit further. I don't state this actually based on the signs that are all around us. I state this based on the reality. The reality that we are truly living in the last days. Each and every one of us is living in the last days. But so were my mom and dad in the 60s and the 70s. And so were my grandparents in the, in the 40s and the 50s and my great-grandparents in the 10s and the 20s, and so were Ellen and James White in the late 1800s, and so was William Miller in the 1830s and, and 1840s. Can I put forth the premise that every generation since the resurrection of Jesus Christ has indeed been living in the last days? In fact, turn in your Bibles with me to the book of 1 John chapter 2 and verse 18. It's page 1,394 in your pew Bibles. But 1 John chapter 2 and verse 18. John wrote this over 2,000 years ago, and listen to what John says here in this passage. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 18, speaking to some fellow believers. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. Here, John doesn't even say that it's the last days or, or the last years. John says literally that it is the last hours, and yet 2,000 years have gone by since then. I believe that each and every generation has been living in the last days. And can I put forth the premise that as every generation has or is living in the last days, can I put forth the idea that though Jesus has not returned literally, and listen to me closely and don't label me a heretic just yet, 
But though Jesus has not come literally, his second place, his second coming has still taken place in each and every generation. Don't freak out just yet. Listen to what I want to say. Turn your Bibles with me to the book of Philippians, page 1,336. Philippians chapter 1. Paul here is addressing the church in Philippi. And he makes a statement to the church in Philippi that that some have confused. In Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 21, Paul says this. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What does Paul mean? Paul means that, that if he dies, he'll, he'll then, he's saying, then I, the next thing I will know will be Jesus, and that is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith. That your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Some have attempted to interpret this text as though Paul is stating that that he will literally, based on the context of, of literal time, be in the presence of the Lord the moment that he dies. That, though, would be a contradiction with with what the rest of Scripture teaches. It'd be a contradiction with what Jesus taught us when he told us, in speaking of Lazarus, that, that Lazarus, when he was dead, was actually asleep. Paul simply tells us that when he dies, he will be with the Lord. And I want to put forth this idea. For Paul, isn't that a true statement? And for all of us, in a way, isn't that a true statement? That when we die, in our context, we will be with the Lord. Now that may sound like a contradiction to the idea that death is asleep, but it truly isn't. If, if death is asleep till the second coming of Jesus without any knowledge, which is what the Bible teaches in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 5, The living know that they shall die, but the dead what? Know not anything. Then the next thing Paul will know at the resurrection will be what? Jesus. In his context, isn't he immediately with the Lord? In his context, being with the Lord, in one sense for Paul, isn't that immediate. When Paul died, when your faithful grandma or grandpa died, when you die, when I die, the next thing we will know, the immediate thing we will know is being with Christ. That's our immediate context. Paul isn't saying that in the course of literal time I'm gonna be with Jesus, but he's saying that, that, that based on his context, his context of time, he will be with Jesus. It is not immediate in the context of literal time, but it is immediate for the one who dies. In this way, and in this thinking, would not Jesus' coming be in everyone's lifetime? Think about it. Think about it. Last night I was having a hard time falling asleep. I was having a rough time uh, sleeping for some reason, my brain was bouncing around in my head. Maybe it's because Christina's out of town and it's harder to sleep when she's not there. And so my brain was, was bouncing around and I wasn't 
fallen asleep, and so I put on um, some Gaither music. I know that I'm maybe, for some of you, presumed to be a little too young for, for Gaither music. How many of you think that I'm a little too young for Gaither music? So a few of you there. I put on some, some Gaither music. I, I'll tell you how, how into the Gaithers I am. I actually um, am maybe the only 30-some-year-old that actually has an annual subscription to Gaither TV on my computer so that I can watch my good buddies, Vestal Goodman and, uh, and, and Charles Goodman, and some of you have no idea who I'm talking about, but good old Southern Gospel. So I was putting on some music, and I was thinking, man, I just wish I could fall asleep. I just wish I could fall asleep. And I was listening to them, and I was just thinking, I wish I could fall asleep. And suddenly, I heard this noise, and I recognized it wasn't the Gaithers, and I wonder what happened to the Gaithers, and I realized that it was my alarm telling me that I needed to get up. And so I did what rational human beings did. I hit the snooze and went back to bed. And then the next thing after that, the immediate thing after that that I know of is Dayton came in and said, Daddy, don't you need to get up? Love responsible six-year-olds. And so I said, why don't you crawl on here and cuddle me for a minute, and then we'll get up. And then the next thing after that, I remember Dayton saying, Daddy, I'm hungry, let's get up. (laughs) Now there was an expanse of time in all of those situations, but in my context, in my idea, I was listening to the Gaithers, and the immediate thing after that was, where are the Gaithers? Even though hours had passed. And in my context, and in my time, the alarm was going off, I hit snooze, and then even though probably 25 minutes went by, boom, why is Dayton bothering me already? The immediacy of the event. Therefore, is not in Paul's thinking and in Paul's context. And would it not be for us that for the one who dies, would not Jesus' coming be in everyone's lifetime? While you think on that, I want you to turn with me to the book of Psalms. Psalm chapter 90, verse 10, page 674 in your pew Bibles. Psalm 90 and verse 10. Psalm 90 and verse 10 talks to us about the longevity of life. And for some of these young folk up in here, this, this length of time might seem like a long ways away. When I was their age, it seemed like a long time away, but, but it seems to get closer and closer. Psalm 90 and verse 10. As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years. And some of you are like, and if you're an Adventist, 90 or 100 years. Awesome. I actually looked up the, the life expectancy around the world, and if you live in Japan and you're a man, you can expect to live at least 85 years, barring some tragedy. If you're a woman, you can expect to live 87 years. The longest life expectancy rate in the world is, as, a, as a nation is in the nation of Japan. Of course, if you live in Sierra Leone, it's a far different story and a much more tragic story. The life expectancy in Sierra Leone is only 38 years for men and 39 years for women. If I lived there, I would probably be expecting to be dead by next year. In the United States, life expectancy is now up to 79 years for a man and 81 for a woman, 
And Adventists get excited at hearing that because they say, man, we live 11 or 7 years longer. And a, a lot of you can be very excited about that, but, but a few of you should not be. And I'm not criticizing your health practices there. I'm just saying because there's a lot of pastors in this room, and I've been told that while that number applies to most Adventists, it does not apply to pastors. And in fact, I read in the New York Times uh, an article not too long ago about how in all denominations, the clergy are dying much younger than the members they are serving. And so on behalf of all the clergy, I want to invite the members to stop killing us off. <laughs> the book of James helps us to understand the, those number of years in the great scope of history. The book of James helps us to understand what 70 or 80 or 90 or even 100 years looks like in the great scope of history. James chapter four and verse 14 says this, yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Just that little breath that you breathe and then it's like nothing in the scope of time. In the book of Job, there is many descriptions uh, upon the brevity of life in the book of Job. One is found in Job chapter eight and verse nine. It is described, life is described like this. For we are only of yesterday and know nothing because our days on earth are as a shadow. What is a shadow? It just passes through quickly. Psalm, the 78th Psalm, verse 39 says, thus he remembers that they were but flesh, a wind that passes and does not return. Life in the Bible, life here on this earth is described with great brevity, just a vapor, just a shadow passing by, just, just a wind. Other places it's described like a piece of grass that grows and then withers and fades away and is remembered no more. When I was four years old, 70 or 80 or 90 years old was, was beyond my comprehension. It was beyond my comprehension. Now it's 37 years of age, as I'm halfway to some of those marks, it doesn't seem so old. And some of you that are very near to those ages and, and those of you that have already eclipsed those ages, for you, 70 or 80 or 90 years doesn't seem like much time at all. It seems like just a blip, like, like the snap of a finger and it's gone. Probably some of you have said, man, I remember when I was your age and, and what happened to the years? I know when I tell people I'm old, I have some people glare at me. It goes by very fast, they tell me. Christina says all the time, lately she's been saying all the time, I can't believe I'm soon going to have a dad that is 70 years old. When I said that in first service, my six-year-old son said, 70? Like I said, uncomprehensible to a six-year-old. She says, he doesn't seem that old. And I tell her, it's because 70 is not that old anymore. Can I put these two points together? If 70 or 80 or 90 years is the scope of our lives, and 70 or 80 or 90 years really isn't that many years, then who of us is living in the last days? I would put forth that all of us are living in the last days. And if at the end of our life, the next thing we will hopefully all immediately see and know is being with Jesus, then isn't Jesus in a way coming in each and every one of our lifetime? 
if I reach 80 or 90 years old, if I have the health of Steve Wilsey and the members, man, he, you know what I think it is? He's just so nice to all of you. Y'all are so nice to him back and it's keeping him alive forever. We love you, Steve. But if I have the privilege to live that long, when I do eventually, if I do eventually fall asleep and Jesus has not come literally to this earth, then won't the next thing I know immediately be Jesus? It'll immediately be Jesus. One day I'll get to go to sleep in Jesus. One day you may go to sleep in Jesus and a thousand or two thousand years could go by on this earth. But when the trumpet sounds and the grave breaks open and I see the face of Jesus, that will be the next day in my life. That will be the next day in your life. It will be the best day ever, but it will literally be the next day of my life or your life. And in that context, isn't Jesus coming in all of our lifetimes? This leads me to the belief that Jesus is coming no matter when it is, is always right now. Jesus is coming no matter when it is, is always right now for somebody. The last days, no matter when they are in the context of the eschatology of this earth, for me, the last days are always right now. For you, the last days are always right now, which then makes Joshua's call in Joshua chapter 24 even more poignant. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is indeed coming in my lifetime and yours. I may take an extended nap before he comes. You may take an extended nap before he comes, but he is indeed coming in your lifetime. Folk, have we become so high-minded in our understanding of the eschatology of the world that we forgot our own personal eschatology, that we are in fact living in our own personal eschatology, our own last days? Have we become so concerned about sounding the alarm bell prematurely on the soon coming of Jesus to this earth that we have failed to alert people to the soon coming of Jesus Christ in their personal lives as well? We are Adventists. There is no greater or lesser need for us now than there was in the days of Martin Luther or John Calvin. There is no greater or lesser need to be an Adventist now than there was in the days of John Wesley or Dwight L. Moody. There is no greater or lesser need to be an Adventist now than there was in the days of Ellen White and James White. In each generation, God needs a people that will choose this day whom they will serve and then will boldly proclaim the soon coming of Jesus Christ. Because in each generation, that generation only has those 70 or 80 or 90 years in which to hear about the soon coming of Jesus. And then, in their next context, Jesus will be coming. They only have that life. That's all they have. That's all the moment that they have. God is asking us to be a people that will proclaim boldly the soon coming of Jesus even if that soon coming is not for another hundred or thousand or two thousand years. In each generation, God is calling to a people. He, he allows signs to take place to stir people to look towards him and to follow him, to make a commitment 
to live for him in their personal eschatology. Because even if Jesus doesn't come for another thousand or two thousand years, each generation only has those years in which to say, I choose today to follow Jesus. I've mentioned several times the passing of my friend by suicide in Ohio. And I've been thinking about him a lot this week, actually, because I haven't played golf for three years, and his parents, my friend was a scratch golfer, actually caddied for him once in a, in a U.S. Open qualifier. His parents gave me his golf clubs and said, we're going to give you these. You have to promise to start playing again. So I've been thinking a lot about him this week because I've gone out and hit for the first time with them. And I think they remember him because I've been hitting really well. Don't worry, I'm joking on that, don't. But don't you think that if I knew that Chris's last day would be February 2nd, 2015, that I would be calling him every single day to tell him that I loved him, to tell him how much Jesus loves him, to tell him that, that it's going to be okay, to tell him that, that there's better than this world. His last days were then. His personal eschatology was then. For someone every single day, the coming of Jesus is right now. And God is calling us as a people to boldly proclaim the good news of Jesus, to tell them of his love and his grace and his mercy, to tell them of his, of his care for each and every one of them. Not to say, well, well we don't want to sound the alarm prematurely. We don't want to, to be fanatical about saying that, that Jesus is coming because we've been saying it for years and, and he hasn't come. For them, after their four score and however many years, that is For us as well, we only have this lifetime to say yes to Jesus Christ. Another friend of mine passed away this last week. He was actually my predecessor in Visalia. And about eight years ago when I was pastoring in Georgia, he called me up and he said, I've been doing military chaplaincy, I'm now the hospital chaplain, but my former church is looking for a pastor and I want to know if I could put your name in if you'd be interested and I said well you know let me talk to Christina we'll pray about it prayed about it said Christina's like California yes let's put our name in and uh, so we put our name in and ended up there in Visalia and thus that's how I we owe it to him as well that's how I ended up here because I highly doubt that um, if I was still pastoring uh, in Adairsville a, a church where we met in a quadruple wide and our fellowship hall was a single wide that uh, Spencerville probably would have, would have uh, heard of me in that, in that context. But he just passed away this last week, and about a year, or about less than a year ago, actually, he received a report that he had uh, cancer in his liver, and when they looked at him and, and did the scans and everything, they said that you probably have about a year to live. You have about a year to live. He only made it about eight months. And you know what he did in that, those last eight months, the same thing he had done his previous 64 years. 
He loved people so that they would hopefully love Jesus more. In fact, in those last eight years, he still went to, or those last eight months, he still went to work almost every day, sat with patients by their bedside, held their hand as they got news that they were dying even as he himself was dying. He grieved with families just as his own family was grieving. There was pictures on Facebook a few months ago of, of him performing a wedding and just even just a few weeks ago there was pictures of him doing baptisms. It was truly his last days. And how was he living them? The way that each one of us should be living our last days. Sharing the love of Jesus Christ. Sharing the love of Jesus Christ, knowing, knowing that he only had that much time more to reach at least one more person. Folks, the signs around us, if anything, whether they indicate that, that Jesus is coming to this earth in five years or a thousand years or two thousand years, whatever they may indicate, the signs around us should at least awaken our attention to the idea that life is fragile and Jesus is coming soon. I want to invite you to take out your connection cards. And on the back there it says, my next steps in response to today's sermon. I understand today's sermon. If you understand today's sermon, check that box. If you don't, then we can chat more. I recognize my last days are always at hand. Our personal eschatology is always at hand. If life is so short and, the, and 70 or 80 or 90 years is not really that long in the scope of time, then our last days are always at hand. So I choose today, knowing that my last days are at hand, I choose today to accept Jesus as my Savior for the first time. Maybe some of you in here have never said yes to Jesus. Maybe some of you in here need to follow the example of Emily this morning and, and make that, that public commitment for Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to check that box. Maybe some of you in here today need to recommit to Jesus. I choose today to recommit my life to Jesus. And then the last box, the fifth box. I choose today to be a witness for Jesus for those who do not know their personal eschatology is at hand. Maybe there's someone in your life that does not realize that their personal eschatology is at hand. They do not realize they are living in their last days. They do not realize that, that if they come to the end of this life, the next thing that will happen is the coming of Jesus. May each of us be witnesses for those people. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy. We thank you for dying for us. We thank you for the promise that you are coming back, the hope that we have that you are coming back. And Lord, we desire for that reality to be seen while we are still walking on this earth. But Jesus, we understand that some of us may take a nap before then. Some of us must go to sleep for the night before then. So Lord, let us all each one of us recognize the importance in this time and in this age to live for this generation, to choose for ourselves to follow Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.